Um, this morning as we talk, I want to share a little bit of a story that um, started five and a half years ago when um, we launched The Well. Um, as pastors and young leaders, it was the most vulnerable and insecure time of our lives. How many of you know taking a new adventure is always a little bit scary, a little bit vulnerable? And in those days, every little decision made a big impact, it felt like. So in our case, when we first launched, we started out, we came from a mega church in Phoenix. We launched here in Utah with 132 breathing, living people. And we were excited and a little bit sad because we had come from this background that was huge. So we were like, okay, this is a good thing, right? We kept hearing everyone in Utah told us, yeah, that is fantastic. And we're like, really? We just came from 5,000 people. We don't know <laughs> what this is. So I just remember that season where everything was so personal. And every person was personal. And you guys are all personal to us still. But we unfortunately don't know you all personally anymore. Um, even though that's our heart and we wish we could literally sit with every single one of you. But at that, that day we did. We sat with every person, we were involved in their lives, every, every, everything about it was so personal. And I just remember this time where it started getting really uncomfortable when people would, would leave or they wouldn't come back. You know, they were guests and then the next week you didn't see them and the next week you didn't see them and then they were gone. Or people would come for a while and then they would disappear. And, and for a season, it was a real struggle to trust God that he was even doing anything in and through the well. And in that moment, a moment where we were really struggling with uh, just kind of that uncomfortable part of it where people come and go, and um, I just remember God showed me this very visual thing. And it was this idea of an open hand versus a closed fist. And he showed me that in an open hand, I can give to an open hand. I can add more to an open hand. But when you close your fist and you try to hang on to everyone for dear life and say, please don't leave me, I can't add back in when they walk away. Because they will. You can hang on to people as long as you want, but they, they will leave, and that's okay. So he just showed me, like, open your hands and let them go. And I can add back to that. But if we chose the latter, we'd be struggling, we'd be fighting, and we'd be trying to save everyone in our own right, and that wasn't his way right? So this morning I want to talk about what is in your hand. And that's the title of my message this morning. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here today, God, to be worshiping you, to celebrate what you're doing here in Utah and in and through each and every one of us, God. We thank you that you're so personal, God, that every person in the room right now feels you, senses you, Lord, in their way. God, we just thank you for this time of uh, conversation, and we just pray that you would encourage us this morning in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in that very visual image, God showed me that when we freely give, he can freely give as well. And so the focus of our series is out of Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I'm going to read you this verse, and you can see it on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. It says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So when we talk about the gifts of God, we often refer to three things, and that is time, talent, and treasure. Have we all heard that before? We've heard of our time, talent, and treasure. And often these are referred to all areas of our life. They really, really kind of cover every single area of your life, right? One, any area can fall into one of those things. So when we look at that, we see that God has gifted us all with three things, time, talent, and treasure, And he's also asking us to be the best steward of those three things. So the problem that I'm seeing is that, and we all struggle with this, myself included, is that in an effort to kind of control or perhaps out of fear or uncertainty or distraction, we don't steward those things very well. How many of you could, you don't have to raise your hand, but we can often say that we're burnt out, right? That's like a common thing to say. So my thought in that would be that maybe if we're burnt out, we might not be stewarding our time well, right? Because we're obviously not getting filled up so that we can give out, so we're resulting, resolving in burnout, right? And so God is asking us to steward those areas well. And the risk is really great for not stewarding these, these things well. If we think about the reality that God has given us everything, and if you believe in God, you believe in creation, you believe that he has given us everything under the sun, essentially, then we know that he has given us time, talent, and treasure. He has given us what we have. And so if we don't steward those things well, we often experience eternal risk. And that is that there are people being affected by our lack of stewardship because we're not stewarding well the gifts that God has given us to use for kingdom purpose. So in the next few minutes, I want to include three points that we want to go through in each of these time, talent, and treasure, and just encourage you with a few things about how we can steward our treasure well. Does that sound good? All right. Are we ready for point number one, which is this? When we mismanage our time, we miss God moments. So I remember being young and in love. Jason and I were dating since we were like nine. That's not a joke. It's real. (laughs) We did this, when we were about that age, we did the check yes or no, will you go out with me? I don't even know that we ever broke up, honestly, after that. And so we we dated since we were young, which came with a lot of dysfunction, um, a lot of emotion and, and ties that we were way too young to have experience in junior high and high school. And at one point, he went away to Bible college and we tried it out, and back then we didn't have FaceTime, so you actually had to, like, call each other with a calling card. It was like, you had to get a special phone number to call, you had to go to the store to pick up the phone number, like, it wasn't convenient. So we didn't talk very much, and when we did, it was like 2 a.m. my time. He never sacrificed 2 a.m. his time. I don't know what that was about, but it was real. But every time I just lay there waiting for my phone to ring, like a desperate little girl, um, so we, that, we didn't make it very long in that, in that reality. So we weren't dating, and I remember just being so sad that we weren't dating. I thought, this is the love of my life. How could I ever do this with anyone else again, build all that time and energy? And I know many of you, if you've gone through a relationship or have even experienced, like, broken relationships, that that's the, that's the real. It's hard to think about yourself investing that much time into another person again. So... I always hoped and hung by a prayer that maybe one day, maybe, that maybe he'd come back from Bible college and we, it would all work out. But in this season, it was only a couple years into Bible college, and that wasn't happening anytime soon. But I was still 
stuck in it. And this gentleman had given me this word of encouragement that he had really felt like God impressed upon his heart. And it was that not that one day there wouldn't just be one pastor in our home, but there would be two. And our home was still undefined, right? But for now it's just me. And I'm not a pastor or trying to be. And so it was so hard in that moment because all I could think is, well, the guy going to Bible college to be a pastor, then that must be my husband, right? And I was like, no, I can't sit in that. But it was a struggle to, one, not act on that kind of promise or a word of encouragement, but two, to just, to just let it go, okay? So in that season, if I would have sat there and tried to do, you know, try to do what we do as people is when we get a, a glimpse of the future, we try to, like, put everything in place to make that future happen, Right? If I had done that, I would have missed the God moments of my life in that time, in that season. And I'm a young adult ministering to youth, encouraging youth in their dating relationships, and, and just honestly just being a, a girl that could say, hey, God, use me. Or I could be sitting there waiting on my hands for my Prince Charming pastor to come along so I could see this thing revealed, Right? So the problem is, is when we take that course, the latter, we end up missing God moments. We miss the moments of character building, that we can't do the promise without that character building before the promise, right? Sometimes we want to jump into the promise, and then the reality is we would, we would drown in the promise, because we don't know how to steward the promise, because we haven't taken the steps to lead to the promise, So we have to realize that we have to be careful not to take time into our own hands and to steward well the gifts that God has given us with time. The Bible reminds us in Matthew 33 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We're called first to seek him. So several moments in the Bible we see this idea of time and and the reality of time and how God sees it. And we're reminded that time is not ours and that we need to trust God with every moment. You see, when we get an idea of how tomorrow will look, we often go to work before asking the author of our life how to proceed. And he wants to be involved in the process. And you want him to be involved in the process. Because when we're involved in the process by ourselves, the process is not good. (laughs) Right? James 4, 13 through 15 reminds us of this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Does anyone have a year in advance planned out already? Oh, oh, I see you. <laughs> We're planners. We do not know how to wait, do we? We do not know how to wait. So verse 14 says this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's promising, huh? (laughs) Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God is just asking us each day to stop and ask him, what would you have me do with this day? What would you have me do with this time that you've gifted me today? I I talk to a, a woman who comes here, and every Sunday I go, how are you doing? She's like, well, I woke up breathing. So I'm good. (laughs) She knows every day is a gift. Every day we get to decide how we're going to steward that day. 
Jesus addresses the issue of time with the disciples in Acts. And when he's getting ready to leave the disciples and ascend into heaven, all they could think of is, when will you return? So in Acts 1, 6 through 8, we read this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They wanted to know, when are you coming back? When is the kingdom going to come to earth? When is heaven coming to earth? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. While Jesus wasn't willing to give the disciples a time, he wasn't willing to allow them to sit still while he was gone. He gave them purpose in the wait. And he's asking each of you to, to steward well the purpose he's giving you in your wait. What are you waiting for? Don't sit on your hands and wait. That's going to be slow, right? But be active and proactive in what are you having me do today? He's asking all of us, how are you using time for kingdom purpose? When we, steward, when we seek first the kingdom of God, when we steward our time for eternal purposes, he will use it for eternal things. And that's the promise. Point number two. When we don't engage our talents, we silence hope. You see, all these things revolve around kingdom. All these things revolve around hope and bringing the hope of, of Jesus to the people around us. That's why it's urgent. It's urgent to realize that the gifts that God have given, has given us aren't just for ourselves. So what are our talents? Our talents are the practical and spiritual tools that God has given each of us. And you can dig into the word more. And in the New Testament, there's lots of conversation about gifts and gifts of the spirit and practical gifts. So I encourage you to do that. When we choose not to use the practical and spiritual gifts within each of us, though, we threaten the cause of hope being spread through a generation. I don't want to be a part of that threat, right? We have people that need Jesus as much as you needed him. So here's this great story by Richard W. D. Hahn, and it's about, um, well, I'll just tell you. I'll read the story. A man named Luigi Teresio loved violins so much that he began collecting them. He took great pride in acquiring only those of the finest quality. No one really knew about his hobby, however, until he had died. When 246 valuable instruments were found in his attic, it's crazy. He didn't even use them. One of the most expensive was hidden in a drawer of an old dresser. It was a Stradivarius he had purchased from someone who had also bought it as a collector's item. W.Y. Fullerton, commenting on this, said that in preserving the instrument, Teresio had robbed the world of beautiful music all the time he treasured those violins. Others before him had done the same, so that when the greatest, the greatest, Stradivarius in his collection was first played. It had been speechless for 147 years. This beautiful tool meant to be played, to bring life, joy, vibrancy, to set emotions to play, was silenced, not just for one generation, but for multiple. See, we see the similar catastrophe potentially playing out with Moses. When God ignites him to go and save the Egyptians, or I mean, go and save the Israelites from Egypt. In Exodus 3, 7 through 10, this, this sort of sets up God's conversation with Moses. It says this, 
Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the, all the ites, we're just going to say. So, <laughs> so because the Israelites cry for help, has, uh, the cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And here's what I want you to hear in chapter 4, 1 through 5. This is amazing. I actually read this after I had already set my title in play. And I just love how, this is how good God is. If you think you're here by accident, you think you're hearing a message by accident, know that God is this good. That he lines things up after you've already predetermined <laughs> what you're going to do. So I love this. It says this in Exodus 4, 1 through 5. It says, Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? That's what we're asking today. What is in your hand? He says, a staff. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. That's, that's right. That's what I would do. But then God says, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. I'm still running. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is requiring a lot of faith right now. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Including the staff, Exodus goes on to show that there were three things in Moses' hand that God would use to prove that he had come to Moses. So what is in your hand? Exodus 4, 10 through 17, this is Moses kind of going back and forth with God about not having the tools. And I think this is often our issue is that we have the time and talent and treasure, but it doesn't seem like enough. So instead of doing anything with it, we just freeze it. And we just hold it and we clench it. We are closed fist in it, Right? We are grabbing a hold of it because what little time, what little talent, what little treasure we feel like we have, we don't want to give away for fear of losing it all. But Moses goes to God and he says, please, Lord. And this is us, right? I feel like just like this sometimes. Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? I could just hear God being so sarcastic. Like, um, who gave you that mouth? That was me. I am God. I can make you speak. This is him. I just feel it. <laughs> so is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. He goes into 13, and Moses is just begging God, please send someone else. How many of us have done that? Please ask someone else to do that. I do not want to do that. I cannot give you that. I don't want to be that person. You know, we've been in that line at the grocery store where God's just tugging on your spirit saying, can you just give them more today? Can you ask them how they're doing? And we're like, can you ask someone else? I just don't feel in the mood for that. Like, it's just kind of, do you not know? Like, I'm kind of cranky today. Yeah, I made you. <laughs> So then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. Essentially, he gives Aaron as a mouthpiece for Moses and says, 
Moses, I got you. Aaron's going to speak on your behalf, but you have to tell him what to say from me. You're going to act as God, I'm, and, I'm gonna, and, and Aaron's going to act as you. So what I love is that the reality is Moses almost disqualified himself. This doesn't just happen with Moses. This happens with Jesus in the garden where Jesus says, will you please, God, take this cup from me? I don't want to die on that cross. This is painful. But what if God, what if Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross? Hope silenced for generations. If Moses wouldn't have said yes, sure, maybe, you know, God's big enough. He will send someone else. Just like that last song we sang. He will chase you to the ends of the earth. He will bring light to dark places. He will find someone to bring hope to a generation. But I want to be the one to be used for that. I want to be the one saying, everything in my hand is yours, so let's go, God. <laughs> what do you have for me? What would you have me do with what is in my hand? That could have been Moses. They could have been in, in captivity for years longer. Who knows what the end result would have been. But Moses had to have faith, and because he did, hope was not silenced. Okay, you guys ready for point number three? Hey. When we lock up our treasure, we lose the key to greater. First Kings reminds of us, us of a story um, with Elijah who is going to uh, Zarephath, and there's a widow there. And in verse 10, we see Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. This is First Kings 17, 8 through 16. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, bring me a cup of water and let me drink. In 11, he says, as she went away, he called and, and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked. Only a, flour, a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a jug. Just now I'm gathering sticks, which literally meant she was the poorest of the poor, to prepare it for myself and my son to go and die. This is a mother who you know has tried everything to save her child. If you're a mother or a parent, you know. You, if you have resigned yourself to this moment, you've tried everything. And you've given up all hope. And I can't even imagine being in her place where she has to admit, like, this is, this is it for us. But Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf for me and bring it out to me. Afterward, you may say, make some for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The flour jar will not become empty, and the oil jar will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain, the day the Lord says rain on the face of the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do accordingly. Then the woman, then the woman Elijah and her household ate for many days. So she didn't have to just feed herself anymore. Now she had a, a man to feed, Elijah. But the flour jar didn't become empty, and the oil jug, jar did not run dry, just as Elijah had said. So here's the thing. Even in the promise of more, the widow still had to trust God. She doesn't know this man. He might just be so hungry he wants to take her last bread. Right? But she had to trust that this is the man of God telling me a promise of God. I am going to trust God with the promise, and I'm going to give what little I have. Our struggle is that we often look at our lack, like the widow did at first. She said, well, this is all I have, 
so I have nothing to give to you. And we look at our lack, and instead, of, instead we need to look at the possibilities within what we have. So that's the reality. Instead of looking at our lack, we need to look at the possibilities with what God has given us, no matter how little it is. You see, if the widow would have withheld her treasure from God, and now treasure, the reality is treasure is your resource. Treasure is your money. Treasure is your food. Treasure is your possession. We talked about this last week. If she would have withheld her treasure, that was her treasure. That's all she had. She would have missed the miracle of seeing greater things to come. Right? And as you read on, there's many miracles that happen in this widow's life from that one gift that God asked her to give. Here's our thing. In our effort to hold on to every penny we have, we are missing the eternal glory that is taking place every single day. That can take place every single day. We're locking up our treasure, using it for everything but, and ultimately missing being a part of something greater where everything we give, our time, our talent, and our treasure has the greatest ROI. The greatest return on investment is kingdom investment. So when you put that money in the bucket, when you spend that time with those kids in the classroom and sow seeds that are eternal, that's the greatest return on investment. Because lives are being changed every single week. People are getting filled up and encouraged in these doors and outside these doors. And beyond, right? We're sending a team of people down to Mexico to build a home for someone. That's an eternal return on investment for that person, for that family who doesn't have anything. Yet with our what we had, we used our hand and we said, it's in my hand. I'm giving it to you, God. Changing lives for eternity. And when we can see every single thing that we've been gifted with as eternal, I think that our perspective of clinging to everything will change drastically. And I believe that just like the widow who gave her very last to kingdom purpose, we will see greater things in our own lives. I believe God will multiply it. I believe you will see healing take place You're probably praying for things right now where if you trusted God in a different area, those things would come to fruition. Because that's how good God is. Since I was 16 years old, I've always understood that my life wasn't mine. My life was his. And I have known that he has greater purpose and intentionality for me and that literally multiple times a day I go, God, what, what do you have? I check my heart and I check my attitude and I say, God, you've given me this day. God, you've given me these kids. <laughs> and I don't want you to take them away, but really, like, this attitude's got to go. <laughs> like, you know, he's given it to us so we can handle it. But I've given them back to him. Remind me of this in six years when one of them's a teenager. Remember, you're giving him back to God and he'll figure it out. Oh. But the reality is that literally when you're living a life that is kingdom-minded, every moment of your day is kingdom-minded. And when it's not, God checks you and he says, hey, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on what you can do with what little you have or what I can do with what great things I have? Because he has gifts for you. 
He has treasures for you. He has time for you and gifts, personal, spiritual, physical gifts for you. All the things. And he promises to cover us. You know, we look at Matthew 6 and he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Today has enough worries of its own. I don't know if that's promising or not, but I hang on to it knowing that at the end of the day, I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I just got to get through today. And when I'm obedient to him today, tomorrow will take care of itself. So when we shift our perspective to realize that what we have has been given by our greatest father, our great creator, what we have has been given when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, forgave it all, and gave us the grace to do this life, then we'll experience greater things when we give it back to him. And he doesn't make you. He doesn't force you to do anything. But when you seek him, you'll be challenged to do some things. He'll say, will you give that back to me? I think about Abraham and Sarah when they had their first son, Isaac. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you the son. Here you go. Have a son at 100 years old. That sounds painful. Have a son. I'm going to give this, this boy to you. Years later, he says, will you bring him up and sacrifice him on the altar? No. <laughs> but what does Abraham do? Mm-hmm. Yes, God. I will. Brings him up to the altar and does, gets all ready. Isaac knows, too. He knows he's, gonna, he's in for it. He's, he knows. He knows God is so good, though. He said, okay, I know. He gets ready, and then a ram comes in the thicket. And God gives him a different promise and a different provision because he was willing to say, this is what's in my hand, and I give it back to you. And I think God's calling us all to look at that today and say, what is in your hand, and are you willing to give it to me? So here's the verse I want you to hear. First Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So today my hope is that we understand that we all have something to contribute. We all have a piece of each of those things, time, talent, and treasure that God's asking us. What is in your hand to give to me? What will you do with it? And will you steward it for my glory? And I'm believing today that as we say, yes, God, I will. What is in my hand I give to you? I trust you. I know that greater things are coming. Not just for you. Because remember, this isn't about your eternity. You already, most likely, some of you in the room might be like here for the first time and may not know Jesus yet. But most likely, you know that you already know him. And so eternity is with him. It's not about you at the end of the day. This is about others. It's about the people around you who so desperately need the same hope that you have. And it's not okay for us to hoard it. God didn't give us gifts to hoard. He gave us gifts so that we might be givers. He gave us gifts so we might be generous people with our time and our talent and our treasures. So I just want to pray and I want to encourage you to just line up your heart with God and ask him what is in my hand. God, we worship you this morning.